flame, dog. Damn, flame, dog. Welcome back to The Long View, an SB Nation's Crazy Bear Blues podcast centered around the big picture goal of sustainable success and bringing a, a championship parade to Bill Street and hanging a banner in the FedEx form. So however you're listening, thank you for tuning in. Grizzly Bear Blues is a blog under SB Nation. You can find on the web at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SB and Grizzlies. And you can find our podcast work wherever you listen to your podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get the podcast. There, you can find every single episode of The Long View, GBB Live, The Core 4 Podcast, 3ND, and The Starting 5 Podcast. So make sure you're checking all those out, leaving five-star reviews, subscribing wherever you listen to them, so that you don't miss a single episode of the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network. I'm your host, Parker Fleming. And with me today is a writer for the Stipian. And he is the creator of a really cool project called the Roll Call, where you basically like have like every 30, every 30 team and you have Twitter accounts you should follow and rising ones, stuff like that. It's a really cool project, but none other than CJ Marzani. CJ, how's it going, man? Not too bad. How are you? Uh, thank you for having me on. No problem. So, you know, um, you, you had said on Twitter a few times that we, we disagree very often. I don't think so, to be honest. I, I don't know where that kind of stemmed from. I think it kind of stemmed off this uh, first prospect we're talking about here. And, and that's Franz Bodner. You know, I've seen a lot of wavering opinions on him because he's just the guy in the lottery that's considered the safe guy. You know, he's the guy that oh, he's safe, so that means he doesn't really have a high upside. And, you know, that doesn't really sound too glamorous where in that second tier you have Jonathan Kuminga, Scotty Barnes, James Booknight, Moses Moody, uh, guys like that, or even someone like Davion Mitchell because people see comparisons with Donovan Mitchell somehow. But somehow when it comes to that lottery, it's always Franz getting the shade. Uh, and – that, that's basically why, because he kind of fits more. It's just like role player, glue guy, whatever. But CJ, can you just start out with like why you're so high on him and why people shouldn't be torn? Because I mean, I was looking at your big board earlier. You have him five. That, that's the highest I've seen. So just kind of shed light on Franz for us. Yes, of course. And of course, I don't think he's going to go five. I would actually be shocked if he did. But he's up there as my number one guy after what I have as a relatively strong top four, mostly because of a pretty unmatched combination of production and youth. And I think that that what you were talking about in the beginning there about how he's a safe guy and he's the glue guy, I think that undersells Franz a bit. And a bit of that is because He's younger than Jalen Suggs and he's younger than Evan Mobley. And because he's a sophomore, I think that he gets passed over a bit as part of this really young, really talented top couple of guys in this draft. And he doesn't have the 
the look of a primary guy, which is what everybody wants to really lock onto at the top of the draft. But there is so much more to being good at basketball, obviously, than scoring the ball. And despite Franz probably not being a 20-point-per-game scorer in his career, he is one of the best basketball players in this draft. And I say this a lot. If you follow me, you've heard me say this on Twitter, that sometimes really young guys that are labeled as high floor have a much higher ceiling than they're giving credit for because ceiling isn't always necessarily directly correlated with like athleticism and stuff like that. It's knowing how to play the game and no one knows how to play the game more than Franz. And the fact that he produced at such a high level at such a young age over the first two years of his Michigan career really gives you a lot of hope that a, that there could be, some more leaps in his game that we haven't seen yet. And even if not, he has already proven himself to be a really good basketball player. So there's less projection needed, let's say, than maybe a guy like Jalen Johnson or somebody like that, that maybe hasn't had that like actual tangible production yet. And maybe you have to do a little bit more projecting. Yeah, for sure. And I was looking at, uh, I was running through, I saw something about his box plus minus and it was 11.9 this past year. And the only teenagers that have ever produced one about like 12 or higher or around that 11.9, it's Zion, which, God, that was at 20. His BPM was at 20, which is just absurd to think about. Anthony Davis, Evan Mobley, Lonzo Ball, and D'Angelo Russell. Like that, that's pretty solid company for uh, Franz Wagner because all those guys are good NBA players at varying degrees. Well, except for Mobley, but I mean, he's a top three guy right now on a lot of boards. And, you know, I, I like the production thing you mentioned because he just does a lot of the little things. You know, he he makes really smart reads defensively. He finds the extra pass and he makes really timely plays inside, timely cuts. And, you know, he just he's a high IQ player. Uh, I think another thing people are just torn with is the fact that he just ended his college career with a doozy. Like that UCL game wasn't pretty, but you know, I don't, I don't want to take stock into, I don't take much stock into the NCAA tournament. It's one of the, uh, the biggest parody events in sports and you're just riding a lot on a few games and that can go into both, both sides of the play. So you have guys like Davion Mitchell who boosted his with a national championship run, but a guy has one bad game and you know, he, he sucks apparently, but, uh, but I, I digress. I, I got to ask you this. I saw this on Twitter today, and it really caught my eye. Apparently, Jonathan Wasserman, uh, NBA draft specialist over at Bleach Report, said that Monner is listed at 6'9", but he's hearing that he's 6'11". So what does that just change for the trajectory of his game if he's more of like a, a seven-footer instead of a 6'9 guy? Yeah, and I did see that. And even if he is a 6'11", seven-footer, I think it speaks more to the fact that Guys, his height don't really move like that. You know, if he comes into the league at 6'11 instead of 6'9, he's not going to play center. He's still going to be that mix of a 3-4 wing for a team. And to have his ability to move on the perimeter, handle the ball, pass the ball, and really do everything that he does so well with that secondary playmaking and being able to shoot the ball at that size, it's all just that much more valuable at 6'11". And he has that monster wingspan. I haven't seen a actual legitimate measure of his wingspan in the last like three years. I was a little upset he skipped the combine because of that. But on film, his wingspan is huge. 
And it really lends to the fact that he is probably the best off-ball defender in this draft, as far as I'm concerned. He has mastered the ability in rotations and switches and things like that to kind of guard the space of two guys at once. And that's really, really important in the NBA when you have so many star guards that create those four on three man advantages at the top of the key, you know, so everybody gets thrown into the rotation and Franz can passively like be long enough to cover those two guys in the weak side. And it's just a really valuable skill. And if he's 6'11 instead of 6'9, it doesn't really change much about his game necessarily. It's just all the more impressive that he's able to do what he does at that size. That like, there aren't too many guys in the NBA that move like Franz does that are 6'11. It's just not a, a thing that you see very often. No, it's very interesting. It's kind of a, I, not, I don't want to, like you said, it's not really a game changer, but it just becomes more impressive because, you know, what does that do for the potential lineup combinations down the road? Like you can play them in small ball five situations legitimately without giving up much size. You can uh, pair them with another another guy, kind of like how it would be in Memphis with Jaron Jackson Jr. You can pair him, you know, front court for a good 5-4 combination where you're not sacrificing height, but maybe Bonner can give him some help on the boards. Or, I mean, hey, if I saw somewhere where his shooting numbers in Europe were actually pretty better than Michigan. I And his shot mechanics, they aren't broken. His free throw percentage is fine, which is usually a good barometer for NBA three-pointer translation. So, like, I'm not worried about the jumper. It, it's not broken. There's a lot of fluidity there. But if he's 6'11", and, like, another situation, like for the Grizzlies, you know, you have a situation where you could put Dylan Brooks, Franz Wagner, Jaron Jackson Jr., and Jonas Valanciunas all around John Morant. And that's like the ideal sizing that you would have around him because it would hide a lot of his defensive flaws and such. But, you know, it's kind of like, I know I'm using a lot of Grizzlies examples for a guy that's paid for the lottery, but I mean, if we're going to be completely honest, after, I would probably have to say after seven with like book night, there's just a lot of variance on the board. You know, there's like Moses Moody. I see him as high as like seven in mock drafts or even on boards at five. But I see others like ESPN's Mike Schmitz had him 18 in the latest mock draft or CBA, uh, CBA sports guy had him at like 26 or Corey Kisper, a lot of variants on him, Davion Mitchell. And Vonner's another one of those guys where there's a lot of variants on him. So I, I know you're going to say there's no chance he falls at 17 because you, you literally have him top five on your board. You, you see him as, as a lottery talent, but um, if he falls to 17, is he a guy that like they, the Grizzlies shouldn't let any time run off the clock and just they should just go pick him and figure it out? Or do you even think he's the kind of guy that the Grizzlies should maybe shell out a pick or two or a rotation player in there as well to go trade up and go get him if he starts sliding a little bit? I, I think I might surprise you here because I don't think it's necessarily out of the question that he makes it to 17, to be honest. And a part of the reason why is this is something I've been saying all draft cycle. If you take, let's say the consensus top five guys, we'll put Kaminga in there as like a rough five, maybe Scotty Barnes is a rough six, but from seven to 25, if you just threw those names in, in a blender and like spit out a draft order, it wouldn't look that out of place. You know, the, the, the middle of this draft this year is very tight um, in a perceived talent standpoint. Obviously I'm super high on Franz, but other people aren't. 
And I think that there's absolutely a chance that he could make it down the 17. And if a situation like that does happen, I do think it's like a, you're robbing the bank, take him, run away, don't look back kind of thing. Partially because like you mentioned, if, if that UCLA game was maybe his 12th game of the season instead of his last game of the season, we never hear about it again. It doesn't impact the stock. And I don't put a whole lot of extra weight on one tournament game, same way that you said. Another reason is, I'll go that step farther than you about being feeling fine about the shot. I am very confident that he will shoot. Like you said, he's a, he was a great shooter before college. He has a very, very natural touch around the rim. And he was a fine three-point shooter in college. He was running at like 38% until the last two weeks of the season, had a little bit of a cold stretch, brought him down to 34. But I think he's going to absolutely be a good shooter. And the question is more the shot versatility, right? Like, He's going to hit spot up threes. There's not a doubt in my mind. But is he a guy that you're going to be able to run off screens and have him be that sort of weapon shooter? Maybe, maybe not. But I think the question in his shot projection is more in between the like good shooter to great shooter level than fine shooter to good shooter, if that makes sense. I definitely think he'll shoot. And on a team like the Grizzlies, where shooting is a priority around Ja, who maybe isn't that he's if you're going to have the ball in jaw's hands you want shooting around him right so franz's ability to shoot and be one of the best defensive players in the draft and do all of the little things that perfectly match up with having a primary guy like you already have jaw you're not in the hunt for a new star so you take a really 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 good player in franz that complements everything that Ja maybe is lacking a little bit on the the defensive end and size and shooting. And I think it's really an excellent match. And if he makes it to 17, let's say 20% chance, 25% chance he makes it to 17. I think that would be a home run pick for the Grizzlies. Yeah, absolutely. And I I do like what you said about uh, that seven to 25, because that's the case. I mean, uh, I I didn't get to hop into that green room. I had a meeting, but you know, the, the ringer, they did a mock draft. And they had the Grizz. Somebody just told me, like, oh, they had the Grizzlies picking Jaden Springer with uh, Corey Kispert and Chris Duarte still on the board. And, you know, you like, I see a lot of mocks where everything's having a lot of variance, you know, like, like over at GBV, we're, ha- we're covering a lot more of these guys that where everyone's like, why? Like, why? They're, they're guys that won't make it to 17, you know, like Corey Kispert, Kai Jones. I, I have another on Kai Jones this week, uh, Josh Giddy, stuff like that. But it's just because that variance, I think, you know, uh, the pandemic season, it kind of threw us a little bit of murky results where it didn't really make anything clear. Like I have guys in my in my 20s on the board right now where it's like, okay, I like them. I don't know if I like them as much. Uh, I just have translation questions with their games, but if I'm happy to be wrong, like when it comes to like scouting, I have no problem being wrong on somebody being better than I expected. But I, I digress. But uh, just this long view question on Franz Wagner. You know, he has his size, he has the intangibles, uh, his, his like his skill set. You know, I think with Wagner, like what you're saying with his three point shooting, he's not gonna be asked to be a creator. He's gonna be a guy that's gonna be pulling up and shooting like multiple dribble threes or whatever. A lot of his threes are more than likely gonna come off like corner threes. Like I would have to compare his role. If he were a Grizzly, would be like kind of like Kyle Anderson. And Kyle Anderson, the majority of his threes, it was either corner threes 
And if it wasn't in the corner, it was like a late shot clock thing where he just had to get something off. So I would think that would be Franz Wagner's role when it comes to um, if he was ever drafted by the Grizzlies. But would you say, like in this law and view question, because I also saw too you were high on Jaron Jackson Jr. coming into the 2018 draft. Is he that ideal front court compliment next to Jaron if they end up making that transition to where Jaron becomes the five? Yeah, I think that a four five pairing of Franz and Jaron, and Jaron, I mean, it would be ideal for me because like you said, I was high on both. I think it would probably lack rebounding a little bit on the boards, but that can be made up for. I, I don't really have as big of an issue with low rebounding front courts as I think maybe a lot of Grizzlies fans do. I've seen Jaron kind of getting ripped a little bit for leaving some boards out there. And that's not a huge deal for me at the NBA level where rebounding is a team stat. You know, you have to gang rebound anyway. If you have to do that a little extra around Franz and Triple J, that's not the worst thing in the world. But outside of that, first of all, the length and and defensive versatility would be just about unmatched in the league. You wouldn't find a four or five pairing that is more switchable and can defend in more coverages. That would be a really, really difficult lineup to score on. Nobody can guard like the post behemoths. Like that would be, there's not that bulky guy that would take the Joel Embiid's of the world, but not many guys have that post up offense isn't that efficient level of offense that it used to be. And I think from a, a situational standpoint, you can get a guy that can bang with those bruisers. You know, that's not as mm-hmm. difficult of a role to fill, but offensively it gives you the ability to go five out around John Morant and stretch those big guys out of the paint on that end. Right. So that, that neutralizes them there. And the playmaking and shooting around your star is just, it, it would be a really enviable situation for a young star coming into the league to have that much space to work with on offense and not give up the defensive fertility or defensive versatility, I should say, on the other end. I think it's a really fun pairing and it probably wouldn't be their full-time starting lineup, uh, at least right away, year one, year two. But if you can start getting looks at that lineup, that Franz uh, JJJ lineup, and they're able to hang on the defensive glass well enough, everything else is super intriguing. And it's the kind of like going small without actually going small. You have five guys that can reasonably play on the perimeter, but they can also defend their positions. And they're also Mm -hmm. long enough to defend the rim. And it gives you that best of both worlds scenario that I think would pay some really awesome long-term dividends. Absolutely. It would be really fun. It could give the Grizzlies just all this uh, lineup combinations to unlock, you know, that, like I mentioned earlier, the the three guys that are basically seven feet tall in the front court around John Rambo, you're not sacrificing spacing that much or uh, the closing lineups with Jaron and Franz. It'd be fascinating. I know a lot of Grizzlies fans or just people in general, they're like, ah, oh, Franz Vaughn or whatever, but no, like CJ, you're right. Like, People, I think it's just another common draft practice, and it's different because he's younger. Everybody wants to go swinging. Everybody wants to go swing for upside without realizing that, okay, you're talking about upside with this. I'm not going to name prospects because there's some I'll, – actually, I'll go, like, I'll go ahead and name one. Like, let's say like – because I, re- I really like Kai Jones. I, I buy in his upside. But you got to also recognize too, like it could be a swing in the miss. Like – but Franz, like, even if – and I'll use this comparison for the next guy we're talking about here. 
you could swing a little bit and hope you hit a home run, but you could still hit a double and still get a really, really solid rotation player to build around your, your cornerstones. So I think that's a really interesting point because especially with Kai, they're both sophomores. Franz is actually about, I don't know, three quarters of a year younger than Kai Jones. And right now significantly better basketball player than Kai Jones. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. Just from a production standpoint, not even like I test prospect, any of that stuff, like the raw stats in front of you, Franz is significantly better. And at the end of the day, Kai is viewed as that upside swing and Franz is viewed as like, oh, he's safe. You know, the younger prospect is better. I feel like it's almost become like synonymous with being good. Like a high Mm. floor young guy just means you're good and young. And if you're good and young, you have upside. He doesn't have that 25 point per game upside, but that is not the only way to be good at basketball. It's more of a heuristic visual thing. We replace our minds like good basketball players. They score a lot of points, but there more goes into winning NBA basketball games than just being the guy that scores all the points. And Franz probably won't be that guy, but he's really, really good at all that other stuff. Absolutely. Don't knock Franz Wagner is basically what we're all saying. The TLDR of this segment, but we'll be right back and we'll talk about a prospect that has a little y'all more excited. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. All right, CJ. So last week, Grizzly Bear Blues reported that Josh Christopher worked out with the Grizzlies last week. Uh, I think it was in the same uh, workout as another NBA draft Twitter favorite friends. Uh, I, I can't even pronounce his last name. I'm just going to leave it at that. I'm not going to butcher it, but um, it, it, it kind of shocks me. I kind of blocked out for a little bit. Cause uh, Josh, we, we talk about um, with one of my friends over one of the local radio stations, Connor Dunning, we have these things called islands, which is kind of like you unapologetically ride for that person. You're on an Island it thrives, it crashes, whatever. That I would say that's kind of like you and Franz right now. But this is how I felt on Josh Christopher. So, like, whenever I, I found out or we found out that Josh Christopher was working out for the Grizzlies, I kind of blacked out for a little bit. And so – and I see you're high on him too. You have him 16 on your board. Um, before, before I get into why I'm, I have him as, like, a, a lottery-grade guy, CJ, why are you high on Josh Christopher? Yeah, I think that he came into the year a little bit with that gunner moniker, right? He's kind of like Cam Thomas has. He's going to get his shots up. He's going to shoot off the dribble, a little bit of a ball stopper. That was like his reputation coming into his first year in college. And then he went to an Arizona State team that had a horrific context. Remy Martin just likes to fire up shots whenever he can get them. There wasn't much um, chemistry there. They didn't have much time to get the ball rolling, and he was hurt. So pretty much everything went wrong for Josh Christopher. And he still rose up my board because, A, the stuff that we know. We know he can get his own shot, right? He's score. He's fun. He can get to the rim better than he's given credit for. He's like a bowling ball getting downhill. He's really strong for his age. And he has that pull-up equity that you're looking for in young guys. Maybe he's not making them at the percentages you want to see yet, but the flashes of the ability are there. That's all the stuff we know. But on the other end of the floor – he guards. He's a legitimately good defender. He, he's long, athletic. He can defend the rim. He can defend at least three positions a couple years into the NBA. And that combination of that guy that can get up his own shot, which is important, 
it, it doesn't usually come with the kind of defensive tenacity that Christopher has. I'm, I'm almost higher on Christopher's defense than his offense. And mm-hmm. as a guy that came in as an offensive prospect, that's pretty impressive to say. He's got a little bit of ability to create for others. He can do a lot of things. And when you couple that defensive ability gunner role that you maybe would put him in with a guy that can actually guard his position at an above average level, it's not a good level, then you have a really valuable NBA player that is a two-way player, can score, can be that um, firework guy, and also is dependable enough to play 35 minutes for your team. And those guys are not, they don't grow on trees. They're rare. And when they come around, I would be surprised to see them fall into the 25 to 30 range where I've seen Josh Christopher mocked a lot. Right. And you, you kind of echo my thoughts on why I'm high on him. Uh, obviously, he has size on the wing, and he can score in a variety of ways, three-level score, tenacious defender. Uh, I think the thing that got him to – because I had him pretty high uh, going into the year, like in a very, very vague, rough draft uh, big board. I was like, okay, I think I'm going to have Josh Christopher pretty high. I think he's going to be my guy. And then, you know, he had the injuries, COVID cancellations, and and just, you know – being on the central time zone and he's over in Pacific, you just missed a lot of a lot of action there. So I kind of forgot about him a little bit. And then he kind and then he went into five on five in the draft combine. And he just came out there and was like, all right, I'm gonna reintroduce myself. He flashed that upside, you know, that that athleticism, that three level scoring. But I think the thing that caught my eye the most, this fact that he was doing the other stuff, like in one of the scrimmages, he had 16 points and 10 rebounds. So showing that he's willing to go in and fight on the glass. And in another game, he has six assists and zero turnovers, showing that he can be a good playmaker without necessarily forcing it too much. So that's just like the kind of guy that you want next to an electrifying point guard like John Morant. And you know, that that applies like down the board, whether that's Atlanta with Trey Young or uh, in Denver with Nikola Jokic or uh, in Brooklyn, Phoenix, how whatever fits. Like that, that's the exactly the kind of guy that you want. And that's the kind of the guy you want to bet on. Uh, I know I, I even had uh, people tell me just from a, like a, a personnel step, like a personal standpoint, like he's just very critical of himself, loves the game. And like, you know, a lot of these guys love the game, but like he's like critical of himself and you can just tell he wants to get better, has kind of that dog mentality. So I'm I'm just kind of a sucker for that, you know, with grit and grind and stuff. So I, I think I think he's that guy in that late half of the first round. I could just be like, okay, why did this guy fall? Like why why did he not go like top 10 or whatever? I, I usually find a guy like that each and every year. I had RJ Hampton six last year. So Josh Christopher's my guy this year. Mm-hmm. Um but do you think that like that gunner mentality that you said that he came into Arizona State with and the fact that he kind of did get forgotten a little bit with all the, the injuries and the COVID cancellations and stuff like that, do you think that kind of has been playing a factor as to why uh, the national consensus has him like as a early second round guy or, or maybe a late first round guy? Yeah, I, I think a lot of the national consensus stuff is just like, if you look strictly at his stats and his game played, nothing pops off the, the page at you, right? He didn't have a great year by the numbers. And I'm a very big proponent of buying production. We talked about it with Franz. I think production is a very good indicator for prospects. But you have to, you have to also 
understand the situations that they're in. And Arizona State never really got rolling. And he, even when they were rolling, like he didn't have a lot to do. And he forced up shots, which brought his field goal percentages down. But he's also a 19-year-old kid that wants to get drafted, right? He's not getting paid at Arizona State. He wants to play in the NBA. So all of that goes into account. And I think, honestly, I think some of it's just West Coast bias. I don't know how many of these national people actually watched a lot of Josh Christopher games, you know, because I never really understood the second round thing. Mm -hmm. But once, like you said, he came to the combine and he got downhill like he'd be doing all year, got downhill, got to the rim and showed everyone on that national stage that like, I'm not just a scorer. And if anything, I'm better at the things that aren't scoring than I am at scoring. It was kind of the like, oh, okay, let's go back. All right, let's see what we missed. If he can do this on a level with, it's probably the most talented um, basketball court that we've seen him on in on like a national stage, right? Even at Arizona State, like the kind of talent that is in an Arizona State Stanford game or, or something, uh, put up against the combine where you have all guys that are trying to play at that next level and have proven that they can play at that next level. I think for him to show up in that kind of game is really good to see. And I think it opened a few eyes around the league. And I think that kind of shows now, because I think the more that you look at consensus rankings, he's starting to creep up into the early twenties, late teens, and nothing has really changed about his game. He did all these things at Arizona state, And I just think that people are now becoming alert to the fact that he's a two-way wing. You know, he's not a gunner. He's not that firecracker off the bench that you're going to have to sub out offense, defense. He's a two-way wing. And if you erase everything else about a prospect and tell a random GM to close their eyes and just say, you're drafting a two-way wing, they draft that guy in the first round, no matter what, like you don't even need to know. So I think it's kind of a relearning thing where we have to understand that this is who Josh Christopher is. He's not that he may be that gunner that we saw in high school or that we thought was coming to Arizona state, but he's more. And because he's more, he, we need to, you know, readjust our, our starting point with Josh Christopher and see that he can do all these things, which is why you'll see him start to creep up into lotteries and to late or late teens, early 20s as the draft gets closer. Right. And, you know, a a lot of uh, excitement around Josh Christopher and potentially the Memphis Grizzlies is one. Obviously, he's a high school star. He was a guy that, you know, co-starred next to Jalen Green, and he has the fun highlights and stuff like that. I mean, there's also the points that you mentioned too, but a lot of people, casual fans, know him as that guy. Um, He's also – um, he's also pretty tight with Ja. So like whenever that tweet went out, you know, they, they interacted with each other a little bit. So that was cool. But he is also um, very close, has a very tight family connection. I think it's like a godbrother kind of thing with Tayshawn Prince, who is in the Grizzlies front office. So it's just kind of like putting, like p- putting pieces together. It's like, okay, it's actually like kind of realistic. So CJ, like, how do you see uh, Josh Christopher's fit with the Memphis Grizzlies, because you know, I, I don't know if he's gonna like play like right away, and I think that's actually a good luxury for him because you know they, they can he can get sent down and get reps down with the Memphis Hustle where they can really explore what he could become as a playmaker, as a scorer, as a creator, and just kind of build confidence and build reps 
while they're figuring out a little bit of these situations because, you know, they have DeAnthony Melton, Grayson Allen, Desmond Bain, Dylan Brooks under contract. And while maybe Christopher projects better as some of them, you know, there, there hasn't been that domino that's fallen yet to where you can move off those guys. But Christopher's the kind of guy that whenever you make those decisions, you want to have ready to go. So do you see like a, a good clean fit when it comes to Josh Christopher and the Memphis Grizzlies? I do, mostly because you can never have enough good two-way wings. And I think it's a it's kind of a higher-up philosophy development question, right? If you're going to take Josh Christopher, you want to have already thought about your plan for him when you're going to take him. And there's kind of like a divergent road to go. Road A is, like you alluded to, maybe he doesn't play that much his rookie year. He spends a little bit of time in the G League. And you get him those on-ball reps, right? On-ball reps breed creativity. They allow guys to try passes and throw up shots and learn about their game in ways that you couldn't with the big team because wins matter. If you go to the G League, development is what matters. You just give him the ball, let him see what he, what he can unlock. Maybe he's more of a passer. Maybe he kind of hones that pull-up scoring game and he comes back a weapon. Or path number two is if you take him and you see him being a fit on the Grizzlies now, that's not necessarily the role that he would have in the G League, right? So you're going to ask him to come in and earn it on the defensive end first and provide a little bit of space for Ja and maybe do some like late shot clock, uh, tilted floor creation, things like that, get to pull-ups. And he can be that break glass in case of emergency guy for an offense and have him like try some stuff on the bench lineup. But it doesn't, it doesn't breed that creativity. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. If you if the Memphis front office sees his role as that two way wing secondary scorer role that he can play next to Ja and kind of that Dylan Brooks, like Dylan Brooks with his athleticism and length turned all the way up, you know, that that like supercharged Dylan Brooks role, as opposed to having that on that more on ball role than maybe Dylan has now, I think that scoring efficiency is always going to be an issue for Christopher. I, I just, it's part of the nature of the shots he takes. Right. And you want to try to trade up those trade out those pull-up twos for pull-up threes, but no matter what you do, he's going to be a relatively inefficient scorer, I think in the league. So I am, I don't say this about prospects often, because I always think that the creativity just from a developmental standpoint kind of makes more sense. But I think it, as far as Christopher is concerned, he's already not shy. And he's already pretty creative and willing to try those passes. And I think putting him in that wing role and saying, we need you to play off of job, you know, like you're not the star. We need you to buy in to the things that he has already proven that he's willing to buy into. I think that almost may be a more beneficial development path for him because it allows him to hone in on the little things and go out there and guard and finish plays first, not like guard and score is all you need to worry about in this year one next to Ja. And then worry about like getting his game to the next level in year two, year three, year four, because there's always room for development. It doesn't stunt his growth or anything like that. Right. But I think that because he has that NBA body, you're not necessarily worried about him killing you in year one, despite the fact that he's only a teenager. And I might be a little bit more inclined to maybe rein him in a little bit because he's not somebody that needs to be like, you don't need to empower Josh Christopher. Josh Christopher empowers himself. Right. So, so maybe you ask him to play that role a little bit more 
and maybe it benefits them a little bit in the future. Absolutely. You know, it, it's really enticing uh, with this little, this fit with the Memphis Grizzlies because not only because of his skill set, and like you, you brought this up, like reining him in, you know, like Coach Jenkins has done a really good job of empowering his wings. I mean, Grayson Allen had taken a step to like actually be like a legitimate, like starting mm-hmm. two guard on a playoff team and being a four spacer next to Ja. Uh, Desmond Bain was able to come in year one. And, you know, he started out more as that like spot up shooter, um, t- like kind of made some plays off the dribble here and there. And then towards the end of the year, he started making more plays off the dribble, attacking closeout, finding his teammates. Uh, D'Anthony Melton as an on ball creator, uh, Dylan Brooks as a defender. You know, he, he's just done a really good job of developing those guys and empowering them. And I think that could bode well for a guy like Christopher, too, where even though he's a younger guy, kind of projects more as a project compared to more guys in that draft range, you know, like your Chris Duarte's and uh, mm-hmm. players like that. He's a, he's a guy that, you know, he can pop off and he could be that, that steal, you know, that can kind of change things up for you a little bit, kind of change some plans. And I, I think I think it's one of those things that's really – easy to get like uh, caught up with it's just the fact it's like it's a first round pick you kind of like look for a guy that has like starter upside but like we got to also look too like the 17th pick it's not a golden spot all the time like it's very mixed results of what you're getting but if you can kind of like take a swing on a guy like josh christopher uh, i think for a lot of the reasons that you lined up i think he's a guy who will you can go swing for the fences and see, like, okay, this guy has the build and the makeup to be a star. But because of what you've just said, he can still kind of be, you know, uh, a change of pace wing on in a playoff rotation. And he, he can be a very good player for a long time. And I, I, I think at 17, that's really good value right there. Yeah, and you mentioned playoffs. If there's one thing that this playoffs has shown, it's the value of being able to create your own shot, right? Mm-hmm. And if there's one thing Josh Christopher can do, it's create his own shot. And when you pair it with the monster athleticism and the defense, like you said, it's a really enticing package. And the defense gives you something to hang a hat on, right? It's most projects, most projects are more raw than Josh Christopher is on the basketball court. You know, like he's, he's a good basketball player. He's was a highly touted recruit. Um, there are worse upside swings than you could take and he can get his own shot. He could do a lot of things. I think he'd be a really nice fit for Memphis. Absolutely. So I want to close with this here. This is a, a long view question on Josh Christopher. Do you see him evolving into a starting two guard or do you think that his projected and more likely outcome will be as a six man bucket getter? Oh man, um, you're gonna make me hedge a little bit here. Uh, I actually kind of think both, and I'll tell you why. I think that in his top projection, right? If we're getting, if we're talking 90th percentiles, I think that he could be that kind of guy for Memphis, right? That starts at the two guard, and then, however, the rotations work out, whatever. But ends up being that guy, like the role of the sixth man is to be the offense when your star is off the floor, right? Nobody wants a sixth man that's going to come in with Ja and take the ball away from Ja, right? You want the ball mm-hmm. in Ja's hand. So I think that you can stagger minutes around Josh Christopher in his upside projections. None of this matters if he does if he hits like 40th percentile and just like 
guards and shoots, but let's say everything translates. He can be the kind of guy where he starts as your two guard. And then when Ja goes to the bench or he goes to the bench first, comes back in for Ja, whatever it ends up being, he can then take that six man role and be that bucket getter. He, he is a natural born bucket getter. And I think that he has the skill set to mold that down into a complementary two guard. So I, I don't mean to not answer your question, but I genuinely believe that he can do both, which is part of the reason I'm so high on him. I think that he can fit next to a star. And I think that in doses, when a star goes to the bench, he can score. Anytime you get, you're going to hand Josh Christopher the ball for 10 minutes and just say, go get a bucket, there it's going to be hit or miss because he is going to put up shots, whether he's open or not, or whether they're going in or not. He's a truly unconscious shooter, which is the kind of mindset you want to have for a six man, of course. But it's going to come, that particular role is going to come down to whether he can get his scoring efficiency and his creation for others to acceptable parameters for that role, which I think is still yet to be seen. So maybe I, I won't hedge as much. I'll say he's more likely to be that, that off the star guard that really brings that value and that late shots at clock creation gets to the rim like crazy in guards. But if he ups his efficiency just a tiny bit, his ability to get his own shot can definitely lend to him being a good six man in the league as well. Absolutely. You know, I like that you bring that up. Like, I think one of the biggest things that I think is very important over the next offseason or two, especially with Tyus Jones um, near the, the end of his contract, is the, the idea of having a guy where you can have him play next to Jaw or have him take over the offense without Jaw, whether that comes in the form of a starting two guard a six-man bucket getter, or just a combo guard off the bench that kind of serves that back up. I think that's going to be very important when it comes down to uh, playoff rotation consolidations because it allows guys to get into a rhythm. Uh, that, that's another – like that's one thing with Tyus. He doesn't really play well next to Ja just because of the size. And you're really only – like when it comes down to playoff rotations, you're playing them like nine minutes. And I don't think that's really – I think that's kind of counterproductive when it comes to, you know, getting, getting a player in rhythm and stuff. Um, in those uh, critical situations. But, you know, CJ, it's, it's glad to know that we don't disagree as much as you think. And yeah. I, I think this podcast has really showed that. But uh, are there any final remarks you want to add? Uh, do you want to let the people know where you can find you? Uh, sure. You can you can find me, first of all, on my Twitter at CJ Marchesani. Um, my, my work a little bit on the Stepien and all those guys are great. And then I also have Roll Call Sports, which – I don't write as much on anymore, but I have a lot of great guys writing for me there. And um, I do a bunch of Excel work and projects like that. So if you're interested in seeing what I'm up to, my pinned tweet, like there's, it's like a thread. It's pretty much has everything that I've been doing over the last couple of months. Feel free to check it out. Awesome. Y'all make sure y'all check that out. It's a really, really cool project that he has. And he does a lot of work when it comes to the NBA draft. Make sure you check out his Twitter, check out his work. And you know, you can find me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. Make sure you are reading our work over at grizzlybearblues.com. We are continuing our draft profile series. We, we have one up on Franz if you want more on that. Ben Hogan wrote that. And then I will be doing a Josh Christopher one within the week. So make sure you're being on the lookout for that over at grizzlybearblues.com. Make sure you're liking and subscribing and downloading to the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network wherever you get your podcast. And... That's it for me.